false teachers to tell us uh, who they were, what they're all about, what they're like, and how we might uh, discern them and avoid them. But here in these verses 20 and 21, he is speaking directly to us to urge us to do these four things, to build, pray, keep, and look. So now beginning in Jude uh, verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let's pray again. Lord, would you help us to understand this passage of your word? And Lord, may it revive us. May it, Lord, turn us around from ways by paths that we have been walking on so that we walk in your way. Because your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And at the end of that chapter, we're taught the three great virtues of the Christian life, faith, our faith, hope, and love. And really, in in, uh, verses 20 and 21, Jude is urging us to put these three virtues into practice Uh, In verse 20, build yourselves up in your holy faith. There's faith. And then verse uh, 21, uh, keep yourselves in the love of God. And at the end of verse 21, where where we're focusing today, we're encouraged to hope in the mercy of Jesus Christ, even though that word hope is not there. That's really what this uh, verse, this half a verse, is all about. The hope and mercy of Jesus Christ that's coming to us at His return. And so the the Christian view of life is different than the pagan view, than the secular view. The Christian view of life uh, and history is that all things had a beginning, but they're also moving toward a conclusion. And, And the conclusion, the final conclusion of history, world history, is the return of Jesus Christ to raise the dead and judge the world. At that time, the world as we know it will end. He will uh, remake it into a new heavens and a new earth. As Isaiah says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So the Christian life, as we look forward to ultimate things, to the return of Christ and and the changes that will come. It is one of great hope, great hope, even in the midst of a very wicked world that we do live in. And uh, so we are living our, we are to live our lives in anticipation of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, apostates, unbelievers, false teachers like Jude has been talking about, and all unbelievers who refuse to repent of their sins uh, only expect judgment and wrath on that day. But we are looking for the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, when we, when we come to God, when we look to Him, when we walk with God, 
And when we look forward to his coming, we are always on the basis of mercy. It's always mercy. And so <clears throat> this expectation of Christ's return, uh, it does things for us. It, it's, it is an anchor for the soul. And, and we need an anchor uh, in the storms uh, to hold us fast, right? Christ will hold us fast. And how does he do it? Well, one of the ways he does it is through giving us hope, the hope uh, of the return of Christ. And in the first half of verse 21, like, like I read, we were told to keep ourselves in the love of God, which I understand to, to, to mean that we are to stay in close communion with the Lord of love and to stay in the realm and the sphere of his love. And so that conscious communion with the Lord in his love, what does that do? It makes us long to see him. It makes us long for his return. We long to see the one we love. First Peter 1.8 says, whom having not seen, you love. And of course, we would add, and, and, and having loved him, we want to see him. Uh, so Jude says, build, your up, build yourselves up in the faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What are we to do with hope? He says, look. We are to look for it. Uh, we are to look for it. Are you looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ unto eternal life? Uh, to look here is, is it's a metaphor. It means to earnestly expect. If you're looking for something, if you're looking for a package to come uh, to be delivered to your home, you know, in a day, you're, you're looking. You're looking for the guy to pull in your driveway and drop that package off. Well, that's a small uh, bit of hope, right? To, uh, that Amazon's going to come today, but uh, we're looking for the return of Christ. It makes everything else in life pale. So this, it's to wait for something that's promised but not yet possessed. And so it's an essential element of the Christian life. Without faith, uh, we cannot be saved. Uh, without love, uh, it, it, you know, our profession of faith is, is an empty thing. Uh, but without hope, uh, we will not carry on. We, we will give up. So hope keeps us going. It, 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 it gives us fuel, as it were, to carry on in, the, in, in life when things are not easy. And so where's the hope of the believer found? Jeremiah said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. The hope is in God himself. It's in the Lord. And specifically, our hope, our expectation is in the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ as we... As Jude tells us, Psalm 130, verse 7 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him there is abundant redemption. Uh, so even the, the Old Testament saints knew that their hope was in the mercy of God. You see, our hope is not in ourselves. Um, our hope, well, because of our sin, we know that we deserve death, we deserve eternal separation from God, and we deserve his wrath, but we also know that God is a merciful God. And what is mercy? Well, it's his divine goodness exercised towards the wretched 
and guilty. It's on account of his mercy that he saves us. And so out of his infinite mercy, what did God do? He sent his son into the world uh, to, to rescue us by his death and his resurrection, uh, to rescue us from the wrath of God. And uh, through his mercy, we're also made new and we're enabled to trust in Christ for salvation. Uh, the Bible says in, in Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and by the Holy Spirit. So Christ died on the cross to save us, but God also regenerates us by the Holy Spirit, thus enabling us to trust in Christ uh, for salvation. So when God regenerates us by the Holy Spirit, he washes our sins. And that includes all of our previous works, all our works uh, of righteousness, self-righteousness really is what it is. Uh, because the Bible says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so we have to be cleansed from sin and our so-called works. So have you trusted in the mercy of God provided for you in this person and work of his son? Have you put your faith in him? Have you put aside your trust in all your own works, which you've done, and relied solely on the work he has done? It really is an all-or-nothing proposition. You place all your weight, all your trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, no one is going to do that if they think they have something to offer God, something that will get God to, to be uh, gracious to you. In other words, um, no one comes until they see uh, their poverty of spirit. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. To be poor in spirit means it, that you realize you have nothing to offer God. That you are indeed wretched, miserable, filthy, needing cleansing, deserving of judgment, needing pardon. Now at the end of this message, after the sermon, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And everybody loves Amazing Grace, right? No, they don't. <laughs> because some people... Don't like to sing that sign, that, that I mean, that sing that line that says that saved a wretch like me because they don't they don't like to think of themselves as a wretch. Uh, they they pride themselves on something in themselves. Uh, have you ever thought of yourself as wretched? Well, a wretch is an evil, no good. Scoundrel, someone who is despicable and contemptible. You say, well, that's not me. Maybe you need to take a closer look. <laughs> it's me. It's me. And, and John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, knew himself to be that person that he was writing about. He said when he was young, uh, he became a sailor, a very debauched sailor. Uh, and he said, I was capable of anything. I had not the least fear of God before my eyes, nor, so far as I remember, the least sensibility of conscience. In that first line, he says, I was capable of anything. You know, we may not be as bad as some people, but the seeds of sin, the seeds of the worst sin you can imagine, are in our hearts. And so we are capable of anything. 
But Newton realized it because he, he lived some of it out. And he says later he became a captain of, of a slave trading ship and he was converted to Christ through a violent storm at sea when he really thought they were going down and not coming back up. Uh, he thought the ship was going to sink. And he began to reflect on his life and, and he realized his wretchedness before God. And until the day he died, he never ceased to be amazed. As he, as he said at age 72, quote, that such a wretch should not only be spared and pardoned, but reserved to the honor of preaching the gospel, which he had blasphemed and renounced. This is wonderful indeed. Newton saw his need for mercy, the mercy of God. And, and after his conversion, he was a changed man. And eventually he joined William Wilberforce in England to oppose the slave trade. And the one, you see, who had obtained mercy began to show mercy and be merciful to others. And, and when he was at the helm of that ship and it was about to go down in, into the storm, he knew that only God's mercy could save them. And when he saw himself to be a wretched sinner who was going down to hell itself, he understood it was only God's mercy, the mercy of God and a crucified Savior that could rescue him. So if you haven't called on the Lord to save you, um, do so. He will hear you. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look to, to the mercy offered to you in Jesus Christ. Well, in verse 21, he's speaking, though, to those who have already been saved by the mercy of God. So why does he tell them uh, that they need to look for the mercy of Jesus Christ and if they've already been saved through that mercy? Well, first of all, because we always need more mercy. And the good news is there's always more available to us. In Lamentations 3, it says, Because of the Lord's mercy, we've not been destroyed. For his mercies never end. They're new every morning. That's good. That's good to hear. Because I blow it every day. I need new mercy every morning. And we need that forgiveness uh, we need that encouragement. Mercy encourages us to press on in our walk with God. And, and yet Jude's focus here in this passage is not on, um, not on past mercy, not even our present need of mercy, but on future mercy. And we know that there are <clears throat> some Christians who focus too much on the future, on end times. They're so into the end times, they're not much good in the present time. They are, uh, uh, I, I've known people like this. Uh, they can tell you everything, uh, uh, the latest bit of, uh, you know, banter about prophecy and, uh, and book of Revelation and so forth, but uh, their sanctification is seriously lacking. They don't give much attention to walking with God and, and, and as we ought to. Well, I think the problem is is that most of us today do not think of the return of Christ enough. I don't think we're too heavenly minded today. Um, and, and Michael Green in his commentary notes, he says, the greater danger today is that the future element is soft-pedaled. That's interesting. Why would... Why would why would the church, why would anyone soft-pedal that future element? He says, but when that happens, Christianity becomes a mere religious adjunct to the social 
services. So what do we see today? We see churches that are going back to that, what used to call be, uh, be called the social gospel. That Christianity is just about doing good, and it's not about being saved and going to heaven, really. Well, if you read the Bible, it's both. Uh, the Christian faith places great value on doing uh, good uh, for others, doing good in this world. Uh, and yet, the, the Christian faith tells us to live and be that way because there is another world, there is a life to come, uh, there is a future where Christ is going to come and recreate all things. Well, I think that a renewed interest and proclamation of the second coming uh, is needed today. Unbelievers certainly need to be reminded that Christ is coming back to judge the world and that they, along with all people, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But the unbeliever who, ha- who does not know Christ, as soon as Christ comes, there's no second chance, and that person will hear the sentence of eternal condemnation pronounced against them. They will be punished with unspeakable torments as they are cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And our message to the unbeliever And if there's an unbeliever here today, this is the message you need to hear. Repent, the day of the Lord is at hand. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before it is too late. Now this message, it used to be preached uh, in churches. You used to hear evangelists talk about it. And uh, maybe there was a little bit of fear-mongering. You know, you don't want to get left behind and all that stuff. But there's a lot of truth in those things. And so we need to, to recall and to revitalize our interest in these matters. Now, if we have any love, and we'll talk about this more next week, if we have any love for the lost, love for the, those who are wandering from God, who don't know the Lord, then we will warn them of the second coming of Christ to judge the world. But again, it's not only those who are lost who need to hear about Christ's return uh, as believers, we need to hear about it because we need an injection of hope in the midst of uh, what I consider to be a very wicked and discouraging time uh, to be living in, especially in, in our own nation as we look back, um, you know, just 10, 20, 30, or 40 years ago. Uh, Things weren't perfect by any stretch, but things have changed and changed rapidly. We need the hope of the second coming. And, you know, the the more that we focus on the world around us, there's two ways that we can be preoccupied with the world around us. One is out of disgust. We we hear the news, and, and, and all we can do is just get upset, get angry, and be disgusted. And that's... We can go through that all day long because on our phone we have access, uh, on, on our computers we have access to all this all day long. And that's not healthy. We know that. Uh, the other focus, of course, is that we can uh, love the, the world. We are tempted to love the things of the world. 
Uh, either way, if we if we give in to that world, this world focus will become more and more discouraged. So we need to be lifted above these things. Colossians tells us, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's how to. That's how we're to live for Christ. Uh, if we rarely think of heavenly things, uh, then by default it's going to be earthly things. And uh, and yet, compare time to eternity. Compare your short, short life to your life in eternity. Uh, are we giving any thought at all to where we will be living and how we'll be spending eternity? Well, I think... We must think on these things if we're going to prepare uh, for eternity. Oh, you say you have to be prepared for eternity? Yes, you do. Amos just said this way. He said, prepare to meet your God. Well, are you going to meet the Lord when he comes back? Yes, you will. No one, you know, you have an appointment. You will keep. And that's the second coming. So are you prepared for the return of Christ? You are almost certainly not prepared if you never think about it. If you never think about Christ coming again, you're probably not as prepared as you need to be. Well, Jesus Christ is our master. We are his servants. And and what does a good servant do when his master leaves and knows he's coming back? Well, uh, Luke 12, 37, Jesus said, Blessed are the servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Those servants are watching. They're looking. They're looking for their master's return. And that's, that's preparation. They're, they're, they're not only looking, but they're getting everything in order that they know needs to be in order. And so that's what we need to do. And there are many blessings to look forward to. Uh, preparations to be made, but blessings to look forward to. And, and I think the greatest is seeing the Lord Jesus face to face. Says that we'll be caught up with Christ uh, in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians 4 17. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, to be with the Lord, to see the Lord, to be in his presence. You remember how sad the disciples were when they had been walking and living with Christ for several years, and then he says, I'm leaving. And they were very sad about that. Uh, and they had seen him. They had been with him. They knew what it was to lose uh, his actual presence with them. But he said it would be better for, for him to leave for a time. Uh, they would have the Holy Spirit who would come to dwell in them. Think of how happy they are now seeing Christ. And think of how happy you and I will be to see Jesus for the first time. We can't imagine uh, how glorious, how beautiful, uh, how majestic uh, he will appear. Uh, we've seen things in nature uh, that cause us to stand in awe. It's God's creation, after all. Uh, we should stand in awe of the Creator and His creation. And yet, when we see Jesus, it, it will truly take our breath away like nothing we can ever imagine. There will be inconceivable joys which never end. Psalm 16:11. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Another blessing is that when Christ returns, our bodies will be resurrected and glorified. 
and, and this is a fundamental, the resurrection of the body is a fundamental tenet of our faith. Uh, at His coming, Jesus will raise the dead and, quote, will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. Are you looking forward to a resurrected body? You should be. Um, are you looking forward to being without pain and without disease, with no death to worry about anymore? Uh, the Puritan Thomas Watson wrote, he said, if the body did not rise again, a believer would not be completely happy. For though the soul can subsist without the body, yet it has a desire of reunion with the body. It's not fully happy until it's closed with the body. And like our souls at the resurrection, our bodies will be clothed with immortality. Never to die again. And since we will be resurrected, and since we will have glorified bodies, how do we prepare for that? Well, by seeking to glorify God with the bodies that we have now. Until he comes. Well, another blessing of Christ's return is that uh, when he comes, we will be made perfectly holy. As created in the image of God, uh, Stephen alluded to it in his prayer, we were, uh, we were created in righteousness and holiness. And yet, at the fall, uh, we lost that. Uh, but through the redemption in Christ that we have in Christ, especially at his return, that will be fully uh, restored to us. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the, the penalty of sin has already been paid for. Uh, the power of sin is being broken daily in our lives. And the presence of sin... Uh, will be eradicated at his coming. We, we will then be able to experience this perpetual, this perfect communion with the Lord. To, now we, we experience communion with God, but it's interrupted by sin. It's interrupted by the distractions of this world. But when he comes back, nothing uh, will hinder our communion and fellowship with the Lord. And on that day, we'll be openly acknowledged by him and acquitted of all guilt. And those who ridiculed us as believers, those who castigated us for our faith, will look upon us and envy us that we trusted in Christ, that we are owned as his own children. No more separation after that. Uh, no more break in that fellowship, and therefore there will be no break in our happiness. And today we, we have, you know, we have happiness and sadness. It's the roller coaster of life. We have ups and downs, but it'll only and always be up and joyful at His return. So, are you ready for the return of Christ? Are you looking forward to it? Are you thinking about it? You know, some Christians are fearful. When they think of the second coming, but that's because they lack assurance. And so, if you want to be ready for the return of Christ, you need to build your assurance of salvation. And that's, a, that's another message. But remember this, that if you are a believer, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a day to fear. 
because it's going to be a day of mercy. Looking for the mercy. It doesn't say look for the judgment of God coming to you. As a Christian, look for His mercy. Has He been merciful to you? Has He forgiven your sins in the past? Is he, is he continuing to forgive your sins? It's not going to change when He comes again for you. It'll be more of the same, just multiplied uh, to a great extent. So, no need to fear. Uh, but if you don't know Christ, yes, you should be fearful. You need to come to Him today. Uh, you need to turn and trust in that mercy now. Uh, if you trust in the mercy of Christ, Jesus Christ, now then you'll have that mercy to look forward to. If you know Him, look for Him. If you know Him, look for Him. He's coming again. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. And look for that mercy. It's unto eternal life. Think of that. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And if so, then we ought to be looking with great expectation to an eternal existence. An eternity in glory. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you and I possess eternal life now. But we're not, we haven't stepped into eternity. We're still in time. We're still in, in, in this world that's passing away. But one day, we'll, we'll step into that eternal world and dwell with the eternal God forever. Hebrews 3, 6 says, says this, Hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. It's all connected, you see, this hope and the second coming of Christ. It's all connected to persevering in the faith. Holding fast, being confident. We need faith, we need love, but we need hope. If we're going to persevere, if we're, if we're not going to give up, we need to take hold, a firm hold of this faith to the very end. Titus 2.13 says, We should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.12 says, Looking for and hastening the coming day of God. To sum it all up, to look for the mercy of the Lord Jesus unto eternal life. It simply means living in light of His return. Living in light of eternity. Living in light of the future with an eager anticipation of what is to come. The Lord's return. Set your affection. Set your focus on that. Someone has said, you ought to live every moment ready for him to come at any moment and never to be ashamed or he to appear at any second in your life. And again, none of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us deserve that mercy that's coming when he returns. I don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve heaven. But God says it's a gift. And in mercy, he gives it to you on account of the work of His Son. We live in a sinful world with a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of evil, a lot of horrible things. But a day of mercy is coming. Look for it. Be on the lookout for it. Live for it. Prepare for it. Long for it. Build yourself up in the faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. And look up. For the day of mercy, the day of your redemption is drawing near. Amen?
Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.